Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Because who's seen the preview video for the conference? Have you seen the preview video we put online and it's like the most testosterone-filled kind of thing with this big black dude smacking away at a bag and all that kind of thing. But, um, you know, it's a fight. That's what we're, one of the, the reasons for, the, for what we're doing today. We, we, we talked about all kinds of themes that we could have spoken about. And uh, the fact is, if you're not yet a Christian, the, the world's a battlefield and you're involved in the, in the middle of it anyway. And... And, and when you give your life to Jesus, and you could do that today, there's a spiritual battle that takes place over you. And, you know, God thought you were worth enough to, for him to come into this earth and actually lay down his own life for you to get you on his team. But then when you're on his team, it's not like it suddenly all becomes wonderful and rosy. And if anybody has ever told you that kind of a gospel, it ain't the real one, because Actually, it continues to be a fight until the very last breath. So, 17 years ago now, I was just working out in my head. I was, uh, I was leading a church. I was involved in helping to lead a church down in the south. And I was kind of feeling like it was great. It was an established church, but I wanted to go and start something of my own. So, I got permission to go and start a church in a primary school where I've been doing quite a lot of, of, uh, of assemblies and various things like that. And this guy um, came along to the very first one of those because his son had seen me doing assemblies and said, Dad, there's, a, there's this church that's starting in school. And his dad goes, what do you mean church meeting in school? He says, yeah, it's a bit weird, but could we go? So he said, yeah, fair enough. And, he, and his, his, his dad came along to him. And uh, I'm going to call him Marcus, the dad. And uh, so he, was a, he worked for Tesco's. He worked nights a lot of the time. He was like warehouse man in charge of all this, uh, you know, the warehouse. And he came along with his son and he checked it out and you could see he was liking it. He was sort of like, oh, this is different. And then one day, I was in our house, and I looked out the window. I could see him walking a little dog up and down outside the front of the house. And I thought, he doesn't even live really near here, so there's something weird going on. What's he, why is he walking outside there? So I went out, and I went, hey, mate, how are you doing? And um, he, he, he went, oh, hiya. Oh, I thought you lived around here somewhere. Um, so I said, what, do you want a brew? Yeah. So he came in, had a cup of tea. He didn't know what a brew was because he wasn't from the north. <laughs> I showed him. And then I said to him, uh, so, you know, how's it going, dum-dum-dum? He says, oh, I'm liking the, uh, you know, liking the church stuff. And he has got a few questions. Right, okay, but fire away. Questions, questions. To be honest with you, in about half an hour, he's, he's like, I'm ready, to, I'm ready for that new life he keeps talking about. I'm fed up with the old one. And, you know, I'd like a new one, please. Yeah, great. We prayed and fully convinced that at that point he gave his life to Jesus. And, um, and it, was, it, was, it was amazing. Then the battle doesn't just stop because... We've been going a few months now as more and more people started to come along to this little church and it's great and everybody cares for one another. And one day one of the women comes in in tears and she says that this, this, guy, this guy Marcus, he's just had the most terrible news that he's got cancer. And he's not, just, he's, he's not just got a bit of cancer, which is bad enough, he's got a lot of cancer. He had cancer, he said, in his brain and in his 
in his, around his heart and in a lung. And they were saying, it's just like, he, he went along, he's, he'd been, like a lot of blokes, a bit fearful of going to the doctors, getting it all checked out. But had, had, eventually his wife had said, come on, get along and get the tests. So, anyway, I don't know how these things work, I'm just going to say. Sometimes we pray for people and, and they die. I've, I've been around long enough to know that happens. But on this occasion, I said, you know what? We're going to fight in prayer. We're going to fight as a church. I'm going to fast. Some of us agreed to do that, and we're going to keep on praying. This is not the end. This guy's like in his early 30s. He's just too young. He's got two little kids. This can't be the end for him. So we fasted, and we prayed. And then he went back after some tests, and he came to see, he said, on a Sunday, I remember him standing up and saying, I went in the week, and they did some more tests, and he said that this stuff around my brain that they said was cancer, it's some kind of fluid or whatever, and it's disappearing. But I've still got it in my heart and in my lungs, so I'll keep on praying. We kept on praying. Next thing, we, he came back again a few months later. And he said, uh, well, a couple of weeks later, actually, I had some more tests. And the stuff that was around my heart, uh, that's like some fluid, they say, and it's gone. It's not cancer anymore, and it's gone. And it's just, but I've still got it in my lungs, so you've got to pray. So we carry on praying. The next thing was, guess what? It, that's some kind of fluid. That's gone. And they're calling it a mystery illness. And he's like, Wow. You know, this God stuff's really real and prayer's been answered. So off the back of that, we ended up doing a, uh, he, he said, I, I really want to recommit to my relationship with my wife. It's not been all it could be. And, uh, you know, so, and he's, he's a Christian, he's reading his Bible, God's speaking to him about that, about how he should be honouring his wife. And, and, and he says, you know, could we do like a, a recommitment blessing thing? So I did that. And this is about the last thing I was doing, because then I was called on to go and lead another church. But as far as I was concerned, I was kind of leaving him in a good place. And, uh, you know, going on with God. But it is a fight. You, get, you will get four in every single area. That's why I wrote this book. I wrote a book called Diamond Geezers a few years ago, six years ago. And it's pretty good and it's been given away. We have like, there's like 10,000 copies gone in, in prisons all around the country and to the armed forces. And then a few years on, I was asked to rewrite it. And this is a full rewrite around these areas because not that the other book was bad. This is better. This is, you know, I, I don't, I'm not the same person I was six years ago. I hope you're not. I've grown in various areas in my life in six years. So the stuff that I've got in here that is not anywhere near in the first book. And th- these, this is like the first thing I would want to say on these areas. And it, I was looking through them. I was thinking, actually, these are all areas in which you will be attacked. And you've got to be ready for the fight. There's fitness. How you look after your body. You know, his, that was his first attack, effectively, was, was to do with his health. And maybe you're facing attacks like that. Finances. We'll, we'll have problems with regard to money unless we learn to handle it the way God says that we can do family there'll be attacks not just on you the the devil's a dirty player and he's going to come and he's going to attack your family failure you will fail I will fail we will not just fail once and then learn the mistakes we will fail and continue to fail and how you deal with that failure will make a massive difference to whether or not ultimately you'll you'll complete the race Nobody ever won the Olympics who didn't fail along the way. Friendships, that's really talking about how you need other men around you. you I need that. I need, I need mates to watch my back. We've got, me, me and Andy have got a guy that we, we, we meet with regularly called James, and he said at one point, he says, you know what? He says, I need to admonish you more. Do you remember that? He said, I said I've been good at encouraging you, been good at showing I appreciate you. He says, I need to, is it all right if I admonish you? And the Bible word for that is like basically telling you off, saying there's some stuff that you're not living up to, what God says you could live up to. I didn't, I said, no, I don't want you admonishing me. Yeah, admonish Andy. Let's join in. We'll all do that with you. 
father, your relationship as a father of Yahweh, one, your relationship with your father, whether it was a good, bad, or absent, God, you know, there's attacks going to come in those areas with regard to how you were raised as a, as a child, as a son, by your dad, the stuff that needs to be sorted out and looked at, and some of us need to be radically re-fathered by God before we can ever in- enter into being who he wants us to be. And then finally, the ultimate one, the last, the last question is, is your relationship with Jesus, whether it's just something that you've not got yet and you're interested in, or you've got one, but you will be attacked in that area of your identity as a, as a Christ follower Every single day. This isn't just a one, this might happen every now and then. This isn't every single day. You are in a fight. And I just thank God as I look through those that since the age of 21 when I gave my life to Jesus, I'm still standing. Because I know a lot of guys who aren't. I know guys who I went to, who I was in the police with, who were Christians, who are not Christians anymore, or they've blown it in all kinds of ways. Guys I went to theological college with, guys who went on to train in, as be church leaders, people in all kinds of ministries, people with far more promise than me. People I would think of far better character and integrity than me, people who, who had a lot more skills and gifts than me and all of that. And yet, they got taken out of the fight. And I don't want to say that from a position of somebody's... That makes me do this with fear and trembling. That makes me bring this message, not to you as somebody, hey, I've got it all, but actually to say, we need to take this seriously, the fact that we're in a fight. You have got an enemy. When you get baptised in the Church of England setting, there's this thing in the liturgy, and it basically says, when you get baptised, this is how it starts. It says, now you continue as is faithful soldier and servant to the end of your life and fight against sin, the world and the devil. Three things. There's sin that will take you out. Sin that will entice you. Temptations that will get you. There's an enemy, a personal enemy. Do I actually believe that? Anthony, do you really believe there's a devil? Well, actually, I believe in a personal God and I believe you have a personal enemy with personal assignments. He's sneaky and he knows you and he knows your weak points and he'll get at you. And he will be absolutely merciless to take you out in every single area of your life. His plan for you is always only to steal, kill and destroy. That's the plan. That's what he wants to do. He wants to steal everything from you. He wants to kill everything. He wants to destroy everything. He hates you. But Jesus said, the other side of that fantastic verse, John 10, 10, but I have come so that you may have life in all of its fullness. So it's, there's two plans, and that isn't just a, whether you become a Christian, it's whether you are a Christian or not. Because even when you become a Christian, you're not immune to those attacks. We don't get taken out of that battle, we might get taken out in it. People I know have ended up dead, divorced, disgraced, the kids don't even want to know them. I know one guy, I could tell you his name, some of you even know his name, who was well-known in Christian ministry, massive conference-speaking type person, and now his own kids have changed their name because they don't want anybody to know that he's their dad because of the stuff that happened in his life. They've end, you know, people ended up disillusioned, people ended up disinherited because they were deceived. You have got an enemy. You live in a war zone. The Bible tells us that this is the case. That we're involved in a spiritual battle every single day in every single way. That's why when we just do that worship stuff we were just doing, like Carl said, we're not just singing some songs. There's something powerful when Jamie and the guys get up here and start to lead us. There's something that starts to change in an atmosphere and it starts to change inside of here too. 
when we do that. This is, this is warfare stuff that's taking place up here. This is like artillery being fired out. And if we could see what was actually going on in the spiritual realm, when a, when a bunch of guys start to declare out the truth of who they are and who Jesus is, it's a game-changing thing to do. So if you were kind of one of those observers last time, next time the worship comes, I invite you to step it up a bit and start to declare this over your life because among... I mean, we're going to talk about some of the armour in a bit that God's given you, but this is like an offensive weapon that we've got. And you have got responsibility to get that working in your life all the time. You know, what you're listening to in the car on the way here, what you're listening to when you're driving to work or whatever you do, when you're going out for a run and all that kind of stuff, you've got a responsibility and an opportunity to start to build your spirit in such a way that that you can end up becoming dangerous to the enemy and not living in fear because of him. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. Up on the, on the screen behind me, it says this. In fact, um, why don't you read it out loud with me so I can hear you together with me. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, this is such a theme throughout the Bible that I can't understand why we don't get here about more of it. You know, this is warfare stuff that we're engaged in. And so when I first became a Christian, as a, as a police officer, started to crack open the Bible, and it spoke to me. Do you know why? There was, I mean, there was a movement a few years ago where people were saying, oh, it's all a bit militaristic and a bit triumphalistic, all this Bible stuff. No, that's what grabbed me, because I realised I was in a battle... All around me, I could see the carnage. All around me, I could see what happens when the enemy starts to win in an individual, in a family, in a street, in a, on, a, on an estate, in a city. I could see all of that taking place. And I was like, well, this is real. This is, you know, this is, this is like the, the, the marching orders for us. How do we get strong? How do we... You know, I'm 51. I don't take anything for granted. I go to the gym. I don't just pay a gym membership. That doesn't help anybody. Have you figured that out yet? You don't get points for paying into the gym. What you get is turning up, getting a sweat on, doing something, whatever that looks like. In the book, I talk about a fitness plan. I believe if you're you're physically fit, it's going to help you to be spiritually fit. There's certain things, as I've grown as a Christian, especially even in recent years, that I used to do, and I feel like God said, I'm not going to let you get away with that anymore, because I want you to come up to a, a different level. And it's an invitation, it's not a rebuke. It's like, if you want to go to the next level of what I can do through you, I need to be allowed to do another level of something in you. And it's by invitation. We're going to look into that passage a little bit further soon, but I just wanted to pull out some thoughts from some other reading that I've done, written by some guys who are involved in special forces, and how they fight and win, because that sheds light on this. I've even ended up connecting with a couple of these guys. But the first battlefield is, is the mind, is the internal battlefield. Do you find yourself focusing on the troubles around you? Do you find yourself worrying a lot? Do you feel like sometimes there's like, it just goes from bad to worse, like as if there's a curse over you or over your family? in some area do you, do you feel like uh, there's like a glass ceiling that you try you know there's there's things that have happened in your life and you thought this would be a breakthrough and it never quite broke through do you feel like despair do you feel like depression sometimes you wake up in the morning just sort of like there's something waiting for you to, to, to hang around you even though you know everything's all right 
actually it doesn't feel like it's all right. Well, this is the first battlefield and it's in your mind. And this is where the shadows lurk. This is where the insecurities, this is where the, the, the recriminations from the past, anger, unforgiveness, feeling trapped, besetting sins. If you don't enforce the victory in here, you'll never get the victory out there. Not really. It might look like you are doing. You could have a really successful outward ministry without having a really successful inner life. Happens all the time. So one of these books is called Elite by a guy called Floyd Woodrow. You find all these guys, by the way, in the Special Forces have great names. It's like Floyd Woodrow. You have to get a cool name or you'll never make it. That's why they wouldn't let me in the Special Forces. It's the only reason they rejected me. This is a fantastic book. The guy who wrote it is a former para who came up through the ranks and retired recently as a major in the elite of the elite in the SAS. He won the Distinguished Conduct Medal, which is only second to the Victoria Cross. Then he went and, while he was in the army, he studied law and psychology, and now he runs a management and leadership consultancy. It's a great book. Kindle it or something. The first chapter is all about the mind. Before he talks about anything else, a whole of the first chapter, just a few quotes One of the most important moments in my life was the day I realised everything I do begins with a thought in my mind and I can control it. This is the foundation of everything you will undertake in life. Our brain is a command centre that our body cannot disobey. See, I say that whole first chapter is about your thinking. He talks about your brain box. That's the thing that he uses. He says, this is where it all happens in here. This is where every fight is won or lost before you've even fought it. Because if you believe you can... You probably will. If you believe you can't, you definitely won't. He says, remember, you are in control of your brain, not the other way around. And to some extent, also now as Christians, to take that on, the Bible talks about us having the mind of Christ and us being renewed every day, being transformed. Worship does that. Again, Romans chapter 12 talks about how when we're worshipping God, which involves and includes singing, there's something that goes on that rewires who you are fundamentally on the inside. As you present your body as a living sacrifice. I got a phone call. It was um, Marcus's wife. Been a couple of years really, I'd not seen them. And she said, can you, come and, can, you, can, you, can you go and see him? He's in hospital. I said, yeah, go and see him. Anyway, it, which hospital is he in? He's in one called Barming. All right, I've heard of that one. And it's basically, if you've heard the phrase balmy, it comes from balming because it was like a place with, with people with mental problems mental health issues and he'd been put in there and it looked like he wasn't going to be coming out so I drove across to go and see him and he was just like sitting in a corner rocking and and I said what mate what's happened and he's like I can't tell you I can't tell you what's happened I said no you can tell me you can tell me anything it's fine no no thanks for coming but I, I don't you know and we just talked and I prayed for him and I prayed with him but he was all over the place in his head. And I could tell what was, something had gone on and he was riddled with guilt. And, you know, most psychologists will tell you, they say they could deal with guilt. If they had a method of being able to deal, deal with that, then they'd clear out 80% of the, of, of the people lying down on, on couches. And stuff that was going on in his life had got him and it got in here and it was ruining everything he didn't want his wife coming seeing him he didn't want his kids coming seeing him I went across and it was quite a distance but I'd drive across sometimes and go and see him and eventually I heard that he got out and uh, you know that battlefield of the mind the second battlefield see some of you need to deal with that one first today 
You actually need to say, I'm going to give you my mind, God. I'm going to ask you to be in charge of it. I'm going to devote myself more to letting you be in charge of my thinking. Battlefield 2, though, is once you deal with that, you're going out and you take ground in your world. And this is what is supposed to happen if you're a man of God. We're not supposed to be just these passive guys who sit around waiting for God to do it all. He calls us to step up and go and take some ground. He's given you authority. He's given you a commission to go and make disciples, to go and make a difference. In your workplace, in your family, in your home and beyond that. It's, it's, and there's too many men that are just, they're not really losing, but they're not winning anything. Is that right? Yeah. You know, you're just sort of not, you know, and there's no massive sin in your life. There's nothing that you're going to say today. You're not going to sit in a corner and rock over it like he was doing. But you're just not making much of a difference. You said you become a Christian. But what are you doing about it? Are you living as one fully? Because this is what we have to do. We have to go into the, and the next book I want to focus on mainly for the second battlefield is a book by Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Told you they all had great names. It is a bit of a funny name, but you wouldn't want to tell him that. This guy, his, <laughs> you can see he's got muscles from his ears down. I've never seen anything like that. This guy warms up for exercise by wrestling and defeating 20 opponents at jiu-jitsu. Every day. That's what he does. He's now a management and leadership consultant and a former US Navy SEAL. Who's seen the film American Sniper? Yeah, he was on the team. That Chris Kyle. He was like his boss. The chief principle of extreme ownership is, extreme ownership means, nobody else is to blame but me. I am responsible. I'm responsible when it, when it goes wrong. I don't go and look for everybody else to blame. I don't go and sit in a corner and... It's like, this is down to me. I have got authority. I've got responsibility. I am responsible. I am able to make a response. That's basically what responsible means. I get to choose that. And when something goes right, you don't take the credit. But when something goes wrong, you take your fair portion of the blame. Extreme ownership means I am on a mission and I'll do whatever it takes to see it accomplished. And that's just like the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, Nobody serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather he tries to, to please his commanding officer. So this guy, he's, he's leading a team called Team Bruiser. In, he's in Iraq. He's, they're facing... Like the ISIS guys that were, that were hold up, counterinsurgency measures. This isn't like the, kind of, the old kind of battle where you see your enemy there and you're here and you've got your gun and he's got his gun. These guys are hiding, are, are hidden away and, they've got, and they're, they're stuck in these different places and they're in strongholds. Like we get strongholds in our lives. They're actually entrenched and they're nasty, they're smart, they're ruthless. They're skinning people alive, boiling them, burning them to frighten other people. They're well organised. Does this sound like our enemy? He hates you. If you didn't know this, you need to know it. He wants to take you out. He wants to destroy everything. He wants to take everything from you. That's his plan. He doesn't change his plan. How do we advance against enemies like that? Well, the, the strategy that they came up with for, the, for going and taking ground was this. Seize, clear, hold, build. That's what they said they would do. Go into an area, by overwhelming force, seize that building. Don't 
kind of, you know, parley with them and try and negotiate. Just fight it. Seize that area. Then hold it. This is now ours. This is now where we are. There's, we're not going to let any part of this go back to the enemy. Yeah? Seize, clear, hold it, and then build something new. I was reading that. I was thinking, wow, that's such a great picture for a spiritual life of how we advance. Is there an area where the, today you need to de- declare war on? In your personal life, in your Christian life, it, it, to seize control, to ask God, help me. I don't want that to be a place where I've got any compromise going on. I'm going to seize that. I'm going to clear it. I'm not going to have a little bit going on anymore. I'm not going to have anything going on there anymore. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to ring that woman. I'm not going to look at that website. I'm going to, th- going to stamp on the phone if I have to. I'm not even going to do it. So, so that there's no, there's, there's just no, no way. Because I realise I'm not strong enough to keep on fighting that battle. So it's better to just win it once. And then I'm going to build something new. Seize, clear, hold, build. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds. God's given you weapons. Let's read uh, the next bit of Ephesians together out loud, please. Therefore, out loud. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I heard he'd, gone, he'd got better, gone home, sorted out. Got his job back, everything was good, as far as I was concerned. Didn't hear anything more, till a couple of years later. And then I got another phone call from his wife. And, uh, and the story unfolded. And I ended up going to see him in King's College Hospital. The guy's early 30s, like I say. And um, it turned out what happened was, he'd had some money problems. Thought, How can I, what can I do to, to get out of that, to get, to get it sorted out? He's a good-looking guy, and he saw this advert in the paper that said, you know, good-looking men wanted for escort work. Hang out with beautiful women, get paid for it. He was like, that's all right. Wife doesn't need to know. Working funny shifts, she's doing stuff. I can go and do a bit of that. Does a bit of that, gets a bit of money. And then the doors open. And within about a year, now it's not just hanging around with beautiful women. It's hanging around with ugly women. And any women. And then men. And drugs. And AIDS. This isn't a story I'm making up. This is the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He's, 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 his, his wife and his kids, his kids don't want to come to visit him in hospital. I end up going to see him in hospital. His wife, who's been heartbroken, she's standing there and, and she actually says, you know what, I don't know, I don't know what he's done. I don't know all of what he's done and I know he's dying. 
so I suppose I have to forgive him, don't I? And I talked with her about that. And I said, well, you don't have to, but you have to. It's right, isn't it? And she did. And she told him. And we were there by the bedside. And, um, and then I said to him, look, you know, if your wife can forgive you of this, you know Jesus Christ and that he's always loved you. And he's not just loved you on the good days, he's loved you on the bad days. And even now, what's left of your life, you only had a couple of days left, as it turned out. You can give that to Jesus Christ and he'll welcome you and he'll meet you with his grace and he'll forgive because that's the kind of God he is and he's kind. And, and if you want that, you know, we can pray. And he, he said, he didn't, he, he, he was like, no, I don't want to. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to God. I'm just going to finish it like this. This is it. A couple of days later, I came back and I was like, he was really dying. And, uh, and I, I, I was whispering in his ear saying, mate, you don't, I believe in heaven and hell. Your life's become hell. You must know there's another hell continues after that. Turn around now. Jesus is standing waiting to forgive you and help you and love you and he'll receive you, give you his grace. All you've got to do, if, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you want that, if you agree with it, squeeze my hand and then I'll know. And he went, grab my hand and he started to squeeze it. So now, I, I firmly believe that when I stand in glory before God, saved by grace, a messed up sinner in all kinds of ways, but redeemed and loved forever by my heavenly Father, by the blood of Jesus Christ, somewhere in that crowd and hope standing really close to me is going to be my friend Marcus. Every bit as forgiven and loved and saved by grace as I am. But you know what? What a waste. Of, of the potential that was there from the guy who was walking his dog outside the front of our house and walking it up and down, who then believed the gospel enough to be saved, but didn't believe it enough to live it out. I'd, I, I don't want that for me. I don't want it for you. And you know what? God doesn't want it for you and he doesn't want it for me. He wants us to be world changers, world beaters. He wants us to be, whatever the past was, he's got a far better future. He's got a hundred percent. He's got chalk and cheese. He's got light and dark. He's got all of that. And, but you've got to fight for it. He's won the battle. You've got to win the fights. It's like, have you seen that film Fury? Great film. You know, it's D-Day. D-Day's happened, but they're advancing on Berlin. So in all kinds of ways, historians say when D-Day took place... The war was over, really, but you try telling that to the guys who've got to fight those victories in France, who've got, uh, uh, you know, guys coming to kill them. There's, there's an awful lot more fights to be won before they get to the victory, and that's the same sort of picture of what the Christian life is for us. Jesus won. Jesus is victorious. He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and now, he says, you fight. You stand. And he'll help us to do that. But you've got to stand with the armour on. I've started doing this really regularly. Paul's describing a Roman soldier here. He might have been chained to one. He looks across, he sees this guy. They were the, the, the elite of the day. They, they beat everybody. No competition. You know, you've seen Gladiator. Those, those guys were fearsome warriors. And, and he's wearing his armour all the time. I remember years ago, a guy in a, in a conference saying, uh, he was teaching from the front, and he said, oh, I don't have to put my armour on, I never take it off. And I thought, oh, that's really good, I'll use that. Six months later, he's out of marriage, out of ministry. 
I thought, oh, maybe you took it off. Maybe you just didn't realize. Maybe you forgot. We, I, I'd rather make sure I've got it on. You know, you know how to make sure you've got it on? Do what it says. Put it on. Put it on today. In a minute, we're going to do that. I'm going to invite you, if you're able to stand, to stand. And I'm going to go through that armor. And I'm going to invite you to put it all on. And to say, and it, I reckon, if we just did this really regularly, it would make such a difference in, her, in terms of how we see the warfare that we're involved in. Every single day that you're involved in the fight. Can you imagine saving Private Ryan? You've seen that gruesome bit at the beginning when there's just people's heads getting shot off and there's people in the water and all. Imagine some bloke walking through the middle of that with his little golden retriever kind of thing going through. Like, oh, look at this. Isn't this nice? That's what we like, guys. So often we're, we're singing a little tune, walking through the middle of a battlefield with people getting taken out and then we end up, something happens and we feel all wounded. Guess what? You got shot. You got an arrow. You took some stuff. And actually, you could have had your shield up. You could have put a shield of faith up in place there and you wouldn't have had to take that. You could have had your helmet of salvation on and that thought when it came, it wouldn't have stuck because you'd have known the truth that was going on inside of your head. You could have had the belt of truth tied around you so when the lies came, you could have... You see, the, I mean, the belt that it was, it's just like a thin belt like I've got. It's a great big thick belt that held everything together. That's what truth does. A little lie will undermine everything in your life. The devil just needs a foothold. That's all he needs, the Bible says, just a little foothold. Don't give him a foothold. Deal with it today. That's the next part of it. Don't let the sun go down with that. Deal with it today. It's vital. Big, thick belt. When I was in the police, it was two, you know, we, 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 I, I spent a little bit of time in the riot squad and we had an overalls on and great big boots, big steel toe cap boots. Because when, you're, when they're throwing bricks and sticks and all kinds of petrol bombs at you, I want all the armour available to me on, please. So, yeah, give me the crash helmet. Give me the, 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 the utility belt with the bits on. Give me the, 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 the you know, that, that breastplate is, is like the body armour and it goes front and back. That's what they, the Romans would have had. It, it covers you completely. It's all tied up together. The, the, those shoes that they wore, the Roman soldiers, they wore shoes that they had like nails in them. In, uh, so they would use them for kicking people. They're like hobnail boots with spikes on. They would use them in fights. And also they would use them so that this stand, you stood. You stood your ground because you'd put your feet in. You try and push me when I've got hobnail boots with, with nails on. What do we stand on? We stand on the gospel. Stand on the truth of God's word. Put the, put the belt of truth on. Put the helmet of salvation on. No, you are saved by grace through faith. It's not about whether I feel like it today or not. It doesn't matter whether you feel like you're saved. Are you? Because you're not saved by you. So we're going to go through this. What about the shield of faith? Two kinds of shields we had in the police. You've probably seen them. And the Romans had one. They had a great big one, same sort of thing. They called it the door. That's what it's called. It was so big you could stand behind it and nothing's coming through. Great big. Or, when it was on the riot squad, they give you those little shields to be able to run into the crowd and grab people and pull them out and all that kind of stuff. You know what? Give me the big shield any time. Much rather have the big shield. Well, that says something about faith, doesn't it? Is your faith growing or is it shrinking? How does it get built up? By the word of God. The Bible says that. Hearing the word of God. Putting it into action. So, what's your shield like? The sword of truth. I determined when I first became a Christian after a bit, I'm going to read the Bible. 
I'm going to read it every day. I'm going to read it like when I feel like it, when I don't feel like it. Because you know what? It's my only sword. It's my only protection. It's my, it's my, sorry, it's my only weapon of advance against the enemy. It's hard. You know, so, so I, and I want my sword to be a big sword. So I read a lot of the Bible. Even the boring bits and the bits I don't understand. I read them all. Because there's going to be something in it. It's growing my sword all the time. It's growing the sword. It's hard to chase the enemy down and make him scared of you when you've got a little toothpick. Little cocktail stick. But so many Christians never read the Bible. Is that alright to say that? Don't be one of them. You, nobody, I can read the Bible to you, but I can't read it for you. You're the one. Close your eyes for a minute. Think about this. Put your finger out in front of you. Now point to the person in this room or anywhere else in the world or the whole wide universe who you think is chiefly responsible for your growth as a Christian and whether you're going to finish this race strong or not. Point to that person right now. Hope nobody's pointing at me. <laughs> Open your eyes. It's you, isn't it? Extreme ownership. Shall we stand? Don't worry about the people next to you and all this kind of stuff. Maybe you're not a big demonstrative person. I'm not asking you to do anything ridiculous except why don't you put your hands just around, on, somewhere around your waist just to represent this. Because God's got something for you and he wants you to be aware that we don't, he doesn't want us to go through this life kind of naked in the middle of a battlefield. So put the belt of truth on. And before you put that on, just think, is there any lies that I've been living with or I've been agreeing with in, my, in, my, in any area of my life? Is there, is there something I've been excusing? Is there a lie in my life that I need to just say sorry to God for before that becomes a bigger lie? And leads to more lies. And then put on that belt of truth and say, today I'm going to be a truth teller. I'm going to speak the truth to other people. I'm going to live the truth myself. Just put that, because that, that big thick belt holds your guts together. It holds everything together. Put your hand on your heart. Feelings. Attacks come in here. Emotional health. There's a breastplate of salvation. When whether you feel like it or not, You've got this breastplate in place and it guards your heart. I am saved by the work and the love of another. Put your hands on your head. Helmet of salvation. We get these lies and we get these attacks. We get these fiery darts that come that, that tell, you, tell you you're not worth it, tell you you're not you. These words aren't, don't, don't mean you. They don't apply to you. The helmet... Is there just to protect and to guard your mind, to garrison your mind. There's peace, I believe, even now coming to some people's minds where you've been tormented in the name of Jesus. Those mental attacks, be renewed in your mind right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Worries and things you can't control. Everything you can worry about, you can pray about. You can't do anything about it. God can deal with it. Give it to him. Shield of faith. Just put a left arm out like you've got a shield on. Close your eyes. Don't matter about the person next to you. Big shield. Who wants a big shield? I want a big shield. Grow my faith, Lord. My trust in you. It's what it is. Just trusting in you. You're in charge. You're big. You can do it. You are sovereign in the whole universe. There's nobody like you. I can advance behind this shield. 
I can push back the enemy behind this shield. Grow my shield. Stamp your feet. We are made to advance. We put our feet on the ground. We stand on the promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves me. He died for me. He's alive. He's my friend forever. I stand on those promises and those truths and I can advance. I'm unshakable. Right hand is sword. Some of you are new to this. God just gave you some metal by looking at the word. He's grown that. He's put that inside of you. But now you're responsible to, to sharpen that sword. To, to anything that's going to blunt it, just ask him, Lord, sharpen me. Sharpen the sword. I am responsible. I take extreme ownership in my life. I want to win the battles in my mind so I can win the battles out there and take the battle to the enemy. And everybody who agreed with this prayer said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 